This podcast is brought to you by the Yes Collective, a team of psychologists, therapists, coaches, and healers who use the profoundly powerful yet gentle framework of internal family systems to produce collective experiences that change the course of people's lives. Follow us at yescollective.co and on Instagram and Facebook to learn more. Greeting friends, Justin Wilford here, co-founder of the Yes Collective and host of the Yes Collective podcast. This week, we're thrilled to welcome on the podcast, Colin Pugh, Executive Director of the Brooklyn Psychedelic Society or BPS. Their mission is to serve as a prototype of a psychedelic co-op, which is to say a democratically governed community-based healing center. BPS's current focus is on creating Trellis, an open source community-based healing model that maximizes the safety, accessibility, and effectiveness of psychedelic journeying, both underground and above. Colin is originally from Syracuse, New York, and has lived in Brooklyn, New York for the past nine years. So we talked about how Colin first came into contact with psychedelics, how he connected with the Brooklyn Psychedelic Society and eventually became its executive director, and how he helps the PPS today grow a model of community-based healing that could one day spread across the country. We then dive into my ideas around the post-church and post-church spaces aimed at intentionally nurturing community, transcendence, and personal personal growth outside of religious institutions. Colin has a different take on this. We are we are we're both inspired by building new institutions, new containers that can hold community transcendence, personal growth, emotional healing, but we have some key differences that I think we really fruitfully explore in this episode. I'm really excited for you to listen to it. So if you care about how we can find rich healing community outside of traditional religion, then you're really going to love this discussion. But if you think religion is going to play a big role in what comes next, like traditional religion, then I think you're going to love this episode too, because Colin represents that view, I think, really beautifully. And we don't know what's coming next. We're all part of building this. And I'm really excited to be in conversation with Colin and the Brooklyn Psychedelic Society. So buckle up. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Welcome to the Yes Collective podcast. I am your host, Justin Wilford co-founder of Yes Collective. And I'm joined today by Colin Pugh. He is the executive director of the Brooklyn Psychedelic Society. Colin, thank you so much for coming on the Yes Collective podcast. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah. So Colin, we have been talking uh, off off air, unrecorded. We were introduced by... Um, a mutual friend a couple months ago, you uh, two had met at the MAPS uh, Psychedelic Science Conference in Denver in June. And so we connected and we've had, I think, well, 
for me, I've loved our conversations. And I think in the last one, we both were like, hey, we should be recording this and putting it up on a podcast. So um, I'm thrilled to have you on. It, this takes us in a bunch of different directions that Yes Collective is going. Um, one of them is in psychedelic preparation and, and integration. So we might be able to talk a little bit about that. But more broadly, the this need for something for for institutions that can give us community that can help support a healthy transcendence and can support personal growth and emotional healing and that we don't have these institutions currently we have things like churches that do community and then sometimes do transcendence and then we have things like therapy or retreats uh, for emotional healing and personal growth, but all of these don't really feel the need, like these needs that need to be met. And so we've started to talk about this. We are, I'll, I'll, I'll put a pin in that, in, in those institutions, which I'm calling post-church spaces. So we'll, we'll put a pin in that. And first, I would just love to introduce you to, uh, the audience. So, um, Colin, executive director of the Brooklyn Psychedelic Society. How did you get into this role? Uh, can you give us like a, a quick kind of trajectory of where you started in the world of psychedelics and how you got to where you are and then what you do now? Sure. Thank you for having me on. Honored to be here, Justin. Um, I got involved in psychedelics in 20. 14, I unfortunately lost a close friend of mine. Uh, he took his own life. And it was a kind of a major trauma for me. One of the first kind of main traumas with capital T, I would say, that I had had. I was 23 at the time. And after he passed, I took MDMA recreationally at a rave in Syracuse, New York. So it wasn't the craziest of raves. Uh, it's a Syracuse rave. That's where I'm from. <laughs> it was doing its best to be a rave, and it, you know, it tried. Yeah, no, you know, well, I mean, if it, like, if you, if you have the music and you have the people and you have the drugs, I mean, it's a rave. That's so. true. <laughs> like you, you got the main components. <laughs> yes. I well, I don't. It was, I think, a very small family was dancing there it was not really much the people were kind of missing anyways oh, right. it was <laughs> okay, yes the right. other ingredients were there <laughs> uh <laughs> so the yeah the music and the drugs it was just a small family that was dancing yes right. a very nice family anyways it's i took the mdma at the rave didn't really do much for me but then it kicked in at an after party of the rave and that after party was much more relaxed much more chill and the MDMA came on rather suddenly and I, I felt like this rocket ship taking off in my solar plexus and I just sat down on a couch and it felt like an ossified shell of armor that had been around my heart melted away and underneath that armor I just processed all these emotions that had been weighing on me like a, a filing cabinet backpack worth of unresolved emotions and challenges in my life, both about my friend, Eric, who died, but also just things in general about me being 
having been bullied, having been an aggressor at times, being a bad brother, bad boyfriend, just just kind of learning things about myself. But uh, kind of all these like micro traumas, both as the receiver of those, but also as the purveyor of them. Uh, trauma mm. purveyor. <laughs> new title but mm. yeah i just <laughs> it it was a lot in a good way and i felt like i could feel like love again anyways i felt after that mdma experience i was much more attuned with myself and my emotions i was able to listen to people better and to give you one example my mom was yelling at me in the kitchen and about something I was living at the home at the time in Syracuse, and normally when a parent's yelling at you, you know, you're going to have arguments in your head back to ratchet up the sling back. I'm like, why wouldn't you? This person took care of you your whole life. You should argue as much as you can. Anyways, my mom, angry about something, and she, in that moment, I felt nothing but unbridled compassion for my mom, not just as my mom but as a mother worried about her son. And I felt like I could see that clearly then because it was only a few weeks after this MBA mm. experience. And it was both my mom and mother. And her anger mm. was really confusion and worry. And it was like seeing her for the first time in a way. And I began to tear up right there in the kitchen. And my mom just stopped and was like, are you crying right now <laughs> like i'm just mad at you why are you crying yeah. and i was like i yeah. took this drug called molly two weeks ago and i have a lot of compassion for you and your situation right now she's like colin we got to get you help that's something that sounds very strange <laughs> <laughs> right there like this level of compassion is yeah <laughs> is pathological exactly. let's get this out of here Exactly. Like just it didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense to me either. I didn't know what I was experiencing. You know, I was like, I could understand why she'd be mm. rooted out by that. I mm. was. And I was able to like listen to people better in general. Like um normally I kind of put in little quips and comments and conversations and I still do. It's kind of a habit, but I the MDMA just showed me how uh I have a difficulty with silence at times out of anxiety and I remember talking to my brother on the phone and normally if there'd be a, like a lull in the conversation, I'd make a quip or a sarcastic remark or something. But um, in this moment, I just sat with the silence, was quiet. And my brother was just like, uh, yeah, so I met a girl and it was like I could actually be the like receiver and listener of the conversation, not the conductor which I hope you experience mm. on this podcast conversation. <laughs> but I <laughs> I was able to like just take a back seat and it was such a relief and it was almost like meeting people again for the first time because of course you still like can initiate and lead conversations but also just listen and participate and wait for them to be able to blossom. Anyways, long story short, this MDMA experience changed my sober life for the better and you know this kind of went away it resulted in, like the spiritual emergence that resulted in these insights but i began to wonder and wish if my friend who died eric had a similar experience as i had but you know he didn't have this available to him then um if he would have still been around so i moved to brooklyn new york later that year where i was last with my friend cuz i just loved new york city so much 
I spent a little time here in college in 2010. I just fell in love with the city. I was here for six months in 2010, moved there, and then in 2015, joined the organization. I'm now the executive director of Brooklyn Psychedelic Society for its very first meeting in Prospect Park, Brooklyn, the Central Park of Brooklyn. For those of you who have not been in Brooklyn, um, yeah, and that's how I, I kind of, that's when I became an advocate for it, when I noticed powerful changes to my daily living and yeah, out of a wondering both if my friend would still be with us, but also I was trying to better understand what happened to me and why did I seem to learn so much about how to relate to myself and to others from something illicit i felt like i just understood life a lot more after that anyways um that's how i got into it so you're there for the very first meeting of the brooklyn psychedelic society at what point do you start to see oh i i i think i could be like an integral part of this organization pretty quickly the the guy who kicked it off he was a lawyer danny miller and just to give you a, an idea of how different the climate was in 2015 in regards to psychedelics, he would not let people actually say a psychedelic they took if they were describing an experience. It would, they had to say it was a dream or something or someone else they knew. And that made sense in 2015 because it was like a lot more taboo then, even though it's not that long ago in the grand scheme of things. But yeah, I, I had a knack for... Uh, I'm very extroverted. I like hosting events and public speaking. And I would help like put the events together for BPS, Brooklyn Psychedelic Society, and was pretty good at it. And so after a year of doing that, Danny, the guy who started, asked if I wanted to take it over in 2016. And so I'd been leading it since then, and I incorporated it and changed the name. It was the Psychedelic Society of Brooklyn, but then I made it Brooklyn Psychedelic Society. So I've been running it for seven out of its eight years. Yeah. And so what does the BPS look like today? Yeah. So we have a uh, six-person team, myself included, five part-time staff, chief of staff, um, marketing strategist, director of marketing, director of community, director of operations. We Our mission is to create a a shareable prototype of a community-based healing model for psychedelics called the trellis model for community-based healing. So community is the medicine. That is our slogan. And like a medicine, a medicine needs to be researched and developed. And a phrase you hear often in the psychedelic scene is community-based healing. And that's been kind of our MO for a while. But over time, I've realized like, well, no one really knows what community-based healing looks like. Like, what are the actual mechanics of how that works? So we're developing a model or playbook for community-based healing called Trellis. And a Trellis is like a gentle support structure to help someone grow and blossom. And we see the, our different programs as the lattices of the trellis that helps people grow, like a vetted facilitator list, community leaders we, that we call community stewards, that we vet a journey cohort program where the cohorts of people legally have a transcendental experience together, either through cannabis, breathwork, or ketamine for six to 12 people with prep and integration afterwards. 
and then things like democratic governance, conflict resolution, escalation protocols, and a viable business model to keep it sustainable all go into making this model work. And by doing this successfully, we hope to be a prototype of a new sort of cultural institution called a psychedelic co-op, a democratically governed community-based healing center that delivers this community healing model to people, no matter their, where they're located or their ability to pay. So yeah. our vision wow. is to see a nationwide network of community-based healing centers. Yeah. Oh, so beautiful. I mean, what I'm hearing is like you're having this really profound uh, experience in 2014, and it's really a, a, a personal growth experience. And as you come back into your life, even with its positive effects, I mean, just having that that compassionate moment with your mom, there's no institutional support for this. There, like, there's no like, there's nothing there that's holding you as you're having this growth experience. And so somehow, some way you've found an organization and now you're the executive director of it, an organization that can hold people as they have these growth experiences. That's really amazing. Yeah. And kind of scary when you put it like that, but yes, Justin, that is <laughs> exactly what we are doing. So I'm, and, and I mean, I love it. I'm so inspired because what you described were so many elements of this post-church space or this, this post-church model that I'm, that I've been feeling into that, uh, you know, we, we, this community-based healing, uh, and it has some really important elements that we can't find in other places, but one of the traditional places that people go for community, and I, 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 yeah, I don't know about the healing part of it, but the community is church or religion. And so, Colin, this is what has taken up a lot of our uh, conversational time, is what role can religion play in this movement toward these new institutions that can support this, this personal growth? And I would like to say... There might be listeners who are thinking, okay, how important is it that we have institutions that support, you know, 23-year-olds who uh, take Molly at a rave? But what, what, what that is for me is just one is just one moment in something much bigger that there, there are so – I, I think there are – so many people who, if they haven't had that experience, there is some inner knowing that that experience is possible. And so regardless of whether or not it's people who are taking psychedelics, who have not taken them, but know something like that is possible, or who have not taken them, but have had those experiences in other ways, we don't have any institutions currently that can hold people through this growth process in a com community, a communal way. So you're at the cutting edge, like BPS is at the cutting edge. And I love that you guys are experimenting with this. Um, I'm so excited. But the question is, what role do these traditional institutions, these traditional religious institutions play? And so uh, take it away, Colin. I, we, we, have, we have talked about this. I have some assumptions about how you're going to answer this, but we can ex just explore this idea. Well, one, I just want to say when I first heard about your post-church concept, 
I was quite inspired and find it an extremely cogent and compelling idea for what our society is lacking. I think our conversations around the role that traditional religions play, I I would like to maybe clarify or just like talk about the community centers and what these post-church environments might look like because yeah. um yeah yeah because i think only then will my our creative tension around those things will make their most sense so yeah if i could riff on something quick that i think inspired me about your post-church model like one way i've put it is that i think in the global north or west or as you put it weirdos what does that stand for again yeah, so this comes from the uh, anthropologist uh, Joseph Hin uh, Hinrich uh, or or Heinrich. I, I apologize for butchering his name. Uh, so weird stands for Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. And the point of this acronym is that this is actually a very strange new way of living in the world um, that's only been around for a little while. And we should have much more humility around how we think about this. Yeah. Um, I appreciated you bringing that concept in from Heinrich or Heinrich. Sorry to that person's name also. <laughs> we'll just, we'll, uh, Joe. We'll just, yeah, we'll just call him Joe. Yeah, Joe. Um, thank you, Joe. And uh, yeah, way I've thought of it, I think that's adjacent to this, and um, is like our weird Western industrialized culture. We lack mechanisms for psycho spiritual maturation. I was um, inspired by Richard Rohr's idea or kind of like putting it out there that we don't really have initiation rights as much in our culture we have initiatory symbols but like rights in terms of a rite of passage i think are things lacking in our culture and initiation right being kind of a demarcation between one stage of life and another usually from childhood to adulthood so given that I see psychedelics as ushering in a tool that can be used in a psycho-spiritual maturation context. Yeah. And how I've been thinking of it, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, Justin, like, let's say that community-based healing and initiation rites those are kind of like, we'll just call that a process. Like that's a process. And what the West lacks currently, we're kind of doing that process like underground right now where we go to retreats and things like that. So, but we also lack a cultural container or a social container that harnesses that process. And an example, I, how I think of it is like, um, if you think of like a gymnasium, like a fitness gym, a gym is where you go to get fit. Like fitness as a process takes place at a gym. Fitness can obviously happen in a bunch of different places. You can run in the woods, exercise in your garage, jumping jacks, etc. But a gym kind of harnesses that. 
process and it accentuates the best parts of it. And even though there's all different kinds of workouts you can do, there's still like, that's where that takes place. I think the West lacks a cultural container for the process that is community-based healing. Mm. And I think your post-church concept is very lively for me because I think it very, and I also really like the, what you described as the uh, three or four main things provided by post-church community transcendence, personal growth and emotional healing. I think that's really succinct description of what these things would provide. And right now we're getting them in disparate places, but to wrap my point up, process of community-based healing lacks a container. And I see one implementation. So our work at BPS is to serve as a kind of hybrid of both. Like we need to both pilot the process, which we're calling the trellis model for community-based yeah. healing, like facilitators, conflict resolution, all all that goes into that, refining that process. And then also serving as a model for the container of that process, which is a psychedelic co-op. What is the architecture of delivering psychedelic care? How does that look and feel and be sustainable? Given that backdrop, only then, because I we live in like a postmodern pluralistic world, right? right. And so yep. people are going to come to these healing centers, these post-church co-ops, and I, again, I think posture is an excellent description of what I see. Like, I don't think I think psychedelic co-op, I think your concept is much more like broad in a way, in a good way, because I think it could help unify institutions and cultural containers that are doing similar things. I think psychedelic co-ops are one meditation halls and centers are another, you know, so I really appreciate the liveliness of your concept and the clarity provides given that people are going to come to these psych in my case i'll speak from psychedelic cops how i envision it people are going to come to them with their own spiritual language and background either in a traumatic way like they want to move on <laughs> from that or in a way of embracing it to give you an mm. example i've had I, in brooklyn i meet a lot of people from the Jewish community, and I've had a few times people from the Hasidic Jewish community come into our meetings at BPS, and they're like, if anyone knew from my community I was here, I would get exiled in a heartbeat, but I've been depressed for 20 oh, years, and these wow. these SSRIs aren't working. And, But they have very specific asks for what they're looking for in a psychedelic journey. Like there can't be any icons. It has to be done by this gender and all these things. And if I just immediately from the get go started talking about chakras or energy healing, like it's yeah. like what? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, what do you what do you think? I don't want to hog the mic here. Yeah. Well, there's. I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. There's so much there. Just to take it back to, I, I think, I think what what you're what you're touching on in a bunch of different ways is this need for pluralism. Is this need for diversity, um, and that these post church spaces they have like, I think fundamentally they need to be pluralist, and 
this is like this is the way forward. What do we do though with the people who are coming in and who are saying, I am part of a religious tradition and I am committed to that religious tradition and I want to find a way to grow and heal, but I want to keep this uh, well to use these these four things that the that a post church space needs to provide, which is community transcendence what I'm calling personal growth in the essay, I broke out into two, which is psychological development and emotional healing. That if somebody's coming in is like, okay, well, right. The SSR eyes aren't working. I'm just looking for a way to uh, help this, this depression, but I'm not looking for community. Like I'm not looking for a sense of transcendence in the way that, that, uh, in in a in a non dogmatic non sectarian transcendence that a poster space would hold, what do we do with those? I mean, how would a poster space hold those people? And you know, I just had a conversation with a couple of ex ministers a couple of days ago around a very similar question of like, what are we going to do for the people who are still committed to their religious tradition? And what came up for me was, God bless them. They're obviously happy with their community and the forms of transcendence that they're getting. And this isn't for them yet. So if, so I, what's coming up for me is for this person, for the person who, who is committed to their religious tradition, but is looking for just something very specific here. Like, I just want my depression to go away. Then... Coming soon, there will be more available psychedelic therapists that they could go to, get a prescription, do the, you know, do the MAPS protocol or whatever, Johns Hopkins protocol, and they'll be able to do that. And what I'm more concerned about is, and what I'm expecting is that that person is not going to stay in that stage of growth that they're in, that they're eventually going to see, oh, actually, my religious tradition that I grew up in is just one arbitrary choice amongst an infinite number of choices. And that I no longer need to hold hold on to, you know, my views around women or same sex marriage or God or sin or whatever else, that I'm now being thrust into a very chaotic and confusing space, which in the psychological developmental model that I use in my post-church essay would be moving out of Robert Keegan's model. I'll put all the links for, for this, his stage three, which he calls social mind, and which in the essay I just called tribe. You're moving out of that into stage four, which is the self-authoring mind. And in the article, I call that adulting. And that this is what mo what this 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 is what a lot of people who go away to college who go away to a typical four year degree go through during their college years and so there are going to be people who are older and who um, are making this journey in very different ways so for me i'm I'm concerned about these poster spaces or this community healing is for people who are ready to make this move into stage four. And there's not a lot of help with, with that. There are not a lot of containers out there that help people move from this social mind into the self-authoring mind or tribe into adulting. And then there's a stage beyond that as well. But I, I, I think one of the most pressing needs is to help people 
traverse that really difficult journey from our, you know, childhood communities and ways of seeing the world into the modern the modern world that demands a pluralistic, humble, intellectually honest way of viewing each other and viewing the world. So that mm -hmm. would be my argument against religion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, mm -hmm. good. Or to make that more, more concise, Colin, to follow up is that I see these poster spaces or community healing models that, that, uh, that the BPS are developing. Like it's, unfortunately, it's not for that person. It's not for the, you know, Hasidic guy who comes in and he just wants to deal with his depression. And so it's like, well, this is, this is the space we have. It's pluralistic. It's non-sectarian. Uh, we are concerned with intellectual honesty. And so, you know, we can't believe things that are, that are like patently false. And so I imagine the BPS one day soon when psychedelic assisted therapy is widely available, they'll be able to refer people out. And I think that would be the, the first step for that person. This is getting to the root of it. Um, I <laughs> glad we're here. I think this is where we do um, maybe have differing strategies for how we see it taking place because and it relates to my own personal story, which I will share quickly. Um, but I had a series of experiences that brought me back to my faith. Uh, I was raised Catholic, was atheist for a while, and then I had experiences where I felt like I understood the Gospels more intensely, and I found a lot of solace, no pun intended, from reading the Christian Catholic mystics and saints and finding the whole idea of like incarnational theology and mystical theology. Just like it felt like more nourishing for me than a lot of the texts and languages I was encountering in the psychedelic kind of new sphere, I would say. And I think that post-church spaces or I mean how I conceive psychedelic co-ops or community healing centers whatever their name might be the kind of um role I see them playing is helping people mysticalify I don't want to say mystify but to bring yeah. in a mystical contemplative element mysticize yeah. yeah to to bring in that psycho-spiritual transformational process into their religious web and for some people they might not have that for me i have found it nothing short of a grace that i found my way back to the catholic church i know like a lot of people i like, can't believe it when they hear it like psychedelics and catholic church if i could tell a quick funny story i went to mass two days ago in manhattan and they have the offertories being made through venmo sometimes so I made a Venmo offer offering during the, that portion of it, gave him five bucks. And then I realized after I got home that I Venmoed them from the Brooklyn Psychedelic Society business account. 
<laughs> so <laughs> old St. Pat's in Manhattan has a $5 donation from Brooklyn Psychedelic Society. <laughs> it's one way to build bridges. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what the hell? <laughs> but one thing I think might be help- informative for or helpful for this is the differentiation between hard secularism and soft secularism. Are you familiar mm. with those? No, like, but uh, yeah, let's let's yeah, let's explore that. Yeah, I like soft secularism, hard secularism being kind of like religion needs to be outgrown and um, a naturalistic metaphysics or like ontology or cosmology, whatever is like, that's kind of the way things are. And religion is something that will gradually fade away. And then. So, like in other words, like naturalism is the way it is. Like we don't religion right. can be outgrown. Then a soft secularism is it kind of has an agnostic stance. Like, well, religion's not going to occupy the, a central place in people's and our po- political social scheme schemas, but um, we're going to remain agnostic to what is. True or not, and so religions still are tolerated. But what I'm interested in is this concept of like post secularism, where people show up with their religious beliefs in full. Because I think the religious language, if especially when you have a mystical outlook on it, like contains so much more closeness and a, a, a so much more approximate to what I think takes place in the psychedelic experience when when it comes to things like love, compassion, self-emptying, that other arenas and domains of our, like like art and science and business, like religion, I see mysticism to religion like the scientific method is to science. And we've been doing religion without the mystical experience for a long time. Mm. But I think, Post churches and psychedelic co-ops are not me- it, someone's process might involve them separating from their religion. That might be a part of their process, and it might not be that they come back to it. Mine, I happen to come back to it, and I find it very like home-like. But I see the roles of these parachurches or uh, sorry, post churches yeah. yeah. as mysticizing. And there being sub communities within that, like th- these post churches should not become a Jewish post church or a Christian post church. That would be kind of a contradiction of terms. But they should be community based healing centers that welcome Catholics, Jewish people, yeah, yeah. atheists. I yeah, I feel much closer to the soft secularism. Although there are some elements of the hard secularism that I ascribe to, such as I mean, just just from from a purely data driven standpoint, like clearly since you know the early twentieth century, Europe has secularized, and the U.S. has has just been about fifty years behind, and. It's happening. I mean, it's, you know, we call it the rise of the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S. And this is, this is just a steady trend, just un, unabated. And, and so I think there's, there's just a clear historical trend here. But 
I absolutely welcome a diversity of, you know, that the post-church can't be a, a hard secularist space. I don't even, I mean, I don't even know about a soft secular space. It should absolutely encourage different forms of, of mystical epiphanies and spirituality. What happens with traditional religions is that they, almost all of them have really um, anti-pluralistic structures to them. I don't know another word for structure, but they have anti-pluralistic threads, energies, rules, dogmas that are really difficult to disentangle. And when people try to start to disentangle, the, the, it leads to a lot of problems. So if someone comes comes in and is like, yeah, I want to be a part of this community, but I can't be in the same room as a woman, or I can't um, be paired off with somebody who's transgendered, or this kind of fundamental pluralism, I think has to be a part of the post-church space. Yeah. I agree. And I agree with you that People on that end of the spectrum, like ultra-Orthodox, I don't think they're going to be coming to our psychedelic cooperative post-churches anytime soon. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not like we need yeah. to accommodate people who, yeah. can, who cannot sit next to a transgender. Like, that is not what I... Because I think you're right. Like, but that's not... The other thing is what has come through for me in my adult psychedelic experiences is how these concepts that you mentioned, like love and grace and compassion, that these transcend, far transcend any particular uh, historical religious traditions. And insofar as we can find a way to talk about these and weave these into our lives in ways unburdened by historical traditions, I think that gives us a chance to really practice them in ways that the modern world requires. And for me, I always have an eye to like, what are we building? What sort of institutions are we building that are going to eventually help 8 billion people on this planet flourish? You know, and, and, and yeah. I don't know how these historical traditions can be a part of that. I do see how these historical traditions can be can can be a part of a bridge but i guess this is where i'm more in the hard secularist camp of like when i'm thinking you know a hundred years down the road a couple hundred years down the road the seeds that we're planting today i think that we need something that we need to build these institutions in a way that are non-sectarian i like they it has to be mm -hmm. non-sectarian yeah in a way that like i mean we could come together Christian, Jewish, uh, atheist, um, or, or in terms of our, uh, you know, childhood upbringing, and we would be able to come together and be able to talk about love and grace and compassion and connection and transcendence in ways that, that all of us mm -hmm. could understand and, and accept without any reference to dogma, any reference to are uh, to to past uh historical literature i think so well the data i would like to see also is the secularization thesis i think has been challenged by the academy that 
actually religious participation is has not gone down. It has in weird countries, I believe. Yes. But I still think the vast majority of people on earth are a part of religious tradition. Do you know? Oh, well, so my, yeah. And I will, I, I I will have to say, so my, um, in-depth research on this ended around 2010, 2011, when I moved into public health and started doing, uh, health, uh, mental health program work, I followed the broad trends in the U S and that has been my focus. But if we just take with what, what I, what I know to be true as of, you know, 2010 or 2011 is that, yes, this is a weird phenomenon. And for me, so this is part of, I think, connected with a, a hard secularist thesis that the weird world is inexorable like it is it is a force now every single person on this planet has been touched by westernized educated industrialized yeah yeah (laughs) it's it's like for better or for worse and a lot of times it's worse but but it's but it but but it is this inexorable force and Mm -hmm. so the way forward is we have to find ways to live with these weird forces like these these weird social forces and that's what i think the post-church or post-church spaces can can do is help us live with these these things Mm -hmm. i think so too i also think if you think of the kind of package that a post-church space would offer of community transcendence personal growth and emotional healing i think like when I speak to Catholics about when I meet my fellow parishioners and I'm in Brooklyn, so they're pretty liberal and progressive, but most of them are into what I do. I would say like, Oh, that's cool. And they want to learn more. Um, But even them, they're still kind of a little more what the heck, but it could be that like that a transcendent experience or personal growth experience is just kind of it falls within the domain of kind of healing and maturity and a transcendent experience is not meant to have a religious import potentially mm. i think it would but like if you dance long and sweatily enough to music yeah. you like in a crowd with or without drugs you will eventually kind of have like a sense of oh, ex- yeah. ecstasy yeah yes and yes. if like no child has ever been made without sexual intimacy, <laughs> the conjugal act <laughs> taking place. And I'm hoping for most people who have been born that that is sex is of obviously extremely pleasurable experience. Some would say mystical in the right done well. Or, yes, yes. Yeah. So as I see it, these I see are institutions and our culturals and our religious vehicles as extremely parched from a lack of bathing in the waters of the saturation that a mystical oceanic experience can provide. And my hunch is that a lot of those rigidities and edges and uh, I can't sit next to a gay person or some whatever those are will be washed away or at least rounded out to where 
people can come together. And I say that because it's it's trying to find the common denominator rather than where our differences are, which I'm sure you'd be down with as well. And it's like, you know yeah. what? Yeah. Ultra Orthodox Jewish person or progressive Brooklyn Christian, whatever it might be like all of us have felt the tinges of depression, of isolation, of not yeah. being connected to something greater. And if these centers can provide that, that's, it's a very important mechanism lacking in our society. It's like, we're missing like the mystical engine. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I love that. And I see like my ideal post church space that is welcoming of people with uh, that, that, that the still that are still connected with their religious communities. It's just the space itself is going to be constructed to be pluralistic. It's going to be constructed to be an open non-sectarian place. And insofar as an individual can adhere to the requirements of that space, then they're welcome. And, and so it's not like an anti-religious space, but it's like mm -hmm. some of the requirements for us to come together would be, you know, to be open to be like, if we're going to do an authentic relating or circling exercise or game that you're open to being paired off with anyone. It could be a woman. Mm -hmm. It could be a transgender person. It could be somebody from a different ethnicity or whatever the case is. And that you're open to that. Are you open to allowing them to reveal their authentic experience and holding the space for that? Mm -hmm. um, totally. You know, so, so, so there, there, there are these, these kind of uh, container, these like structural guardrails but outside of that it's like oh yeah like i mean bring bring uh, like, yeah we are not going to leave our uh cultural historical commitments at the door they can they can come in as long as they aren't going to uh push push back or be counter totally acting some of these pluralistic structures yeah totally i like if you think of these the mystical engine, the post-church engine of transcendence, personal growth, emotional healing, as this needs to be able to fit into certain, needs to be compatible with certain re recept, like open people and minds and hearts. Like, okay, I'm ultra orthodox, but I'm willing to like let that, like you have to be able to enter into that space for that to take place. And I completely agree. I think sometimes that I am almost just like stress testing our community for like, we need to be tolerant and welcoming to people of all stripes, including the religious. Yeah. And yeah. 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 And if, if a religious person is, uh, or, or a religious, I, I really like the term like committed. So someone who, who, who is committed to a religious faith, a religious tradition. And they're and they're coming to uh, the Brooklyn Psychedelic Society. Chances are they're on board for adhering to some of these pluralistic guidelines. Uh, but one of them, and I, I think when it comes to so you mentioned conflict resolution, but I think about um, 
authentic relating and um, ways that we can begin to learn how to talk to each other in more open and honest ways. But one of the guidelines for this is that when giving an explanation, uh, that we are going to only rely on justifications that we can both agree on. So saying that the Bible said is not okay, like it's just not going to be part of of this community. That if you know you have a, you have a problem with you know shellfish, then it it can you know you would use a justification that we can both agree on. And so that's just one that's just one example of a kind of pluralistic open framework that these spaces need. Yeah. And then to hold our beliefs like really loosely. So I really like astrology, you know, and and when the moon is in Virgo or whatever the case is, like I'm feeling like I need but I'm holding this really lightly like like you know, maybe maybe not, but there's a mystery to it all and I'm holding it lightly. Mhm. Totally. Yeah. I think people would need to come in with that level of yeah, strong opinions loosely held. <laughs> uh I think that's the phrase. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like yeah, or being willing media. to let go. Yeah. Yeah, go yeah. yeah. I I see it. I don't want to oversimplify it, but like we're we are practicing in the West a a process of psycho-spiritual maturation and being in the pluralistic culture that we are we need to be able to be compatible with and conversant with the religious traditions. And for me, I have found my belief in Christ and the Trinity and all that, like, and going to mass and participating in the litur in yeah, in the liturgy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as extremely nourishing. And I've experienced many a sober synchronicity leading me back it would be it would be bad i i was like led back it felt like that like breadcrumbs yeah. um and i can't i'm not saying I'm not, i can't ignore that and i don't think you would encourage me either to um no no and what <laughs> it brings up for me is the question of okay how would a post-church space in the way that i have advocated how would it support you in feeling and actually being drawn back into a religious community, a religious faith. Um, yeah. And, you know, how, so are there aspects of the post-church space, the way that I've laid it out, that would exclude you? Well, no, because I see post-church spaces as not replacing church, but enhancing it and like kind of in a very important way, like, I would always have to pick like church, my church over like that's home for me. But I see the like all of my immaturities, my pettinesses, my traumas, the things I could do better, all of these things I do think get worked out through the Holy Spirit. Like I do think God guides us towards getting ever and ever more humbled and loving, compassionate people we are able to listen and i do think that 
these experiences one can have at a psychedelic co-op or a post-church space. I think the Holy Spirit's working through these substances and these models being developed, but I think they are meant to complement one's religious practice if one has one. And if not, it maybe is meant to be that. I mean, mm. I'm sure people would be uncomfortable with calling it a religious, but if you think of lowercase, what lowercase r religion means, religion, as you probably know, like means re ligare to rebind like a ligament mm. to the divine. Yeah. Like you're re connecting yourself. And disconnections like one of the main culprits of yeah. Although from from a uh, sociological standpoint, it is binding in a community. So I, I, I used to joke when I was um, in academia many years ago that if I was asked what religion I am, uh, that I would say Durkheimian, and that would be referring to Emil Durkheim, the founder of sociology. And his main theory is that religion is all about binding in a community. Um, but binding uh, to the divine is uh, works just as well. But what comes up for me, and I know that we are running short on time, and so I'm opening a can of worms, but I just have to express this. Like, so around the divine, what would be, what would still be here if you had an epiphany tomorrow that the tomb really did stay shut, like? nobody rose from the dead. Those mystical experiences that you've had either through psychedelics or breath work or just, just random divine inspiration of whatever, they would still be as real and true regardless. And so I'm curious, like what is in these experiences that do not need any other contextualization or justification like what can we take simply by being with these experiences and just diving ever deeper into them and allowing them to unfold in our lives and between each other um, and in our relationships in my experience the they are every bit as profound i mean of course when i say in my experience i have not ever had a psychedelic experience when I've been a part of a religious tradition. I, I stopped going to church when I was 16. Um, I did grow up in the church. My dad was a Baptist pastor. And so I'm, I'm familiar with it, but yeah, so I'll just, I'll, I'll see if you have a, <laughs> a short comment. Yeah. I'll try to keep it brief. My thoughts <laughs> on the divine. <laughs> <laughs> on the, yeah, just the, the meaning of life. 30 seconds, Colin, go. Well, you're asking a pretty specific question, which is interesting. Like, let's say, in my case, believing in Jesus, he did not actually resurrect or whatever. Maybe one of the foundational beliefs a religious believer has. It doesn't take away from the meaningfulness or the impact of those experiences. And so your question is, what would I say? Can't those experiences still be informative? and transformational regardless of the veracity of my religious commitments. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That would be, a, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like what, like they're, they, they are profound in and of themselves. Because yeah. my answer is it puts too much responsibility on 
too much responsibility and control under i think it's a worship of humans and our experiences as that is our guiding force and I see it as like our experiences are profound and meaningful, but like sex again, keeps coming back to sex as a Catholic, you know, I'm obsessed with this. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> we yeah, all yeah. know, <laughs> but like, <laughs> like sex is an extremely powerful, intimate, incredible experience that only happens. I know, especially for married folks, you know, it's not something that happens all the time every day. What really sex is about is like engendering a field of love, not just to each other, but I think to God so you can get outside of yourselves. Um, but it's kind of like a preamble. It's meant to get the water wheel spinning. And those experiences removed from something divine that they are spinning you towards they're going to spin you towards something. And in my case, it is believing love became a dude for 33 mm -hmm. years and then was mm -hmm. hung and mm -hmm. then on the cross and resurrected. And, and our goal is to mimic that and to die constantly to ourselves and to grow in greater and greater compassion and replace our wills with love's will. Mm. But tabling that. Yeah. I think the experiences are just that. They are profound. They're meaningful. Like one's first kiss, one's first sexual experience, one's first um, maybe experience of the divine. But the mystics say, luckily we have thousands of years of mystics who've had ecstatic experiences without substances. And are like, at least in the Catholic tradition, the uh, barometer, the evalu evaluative framework is is this person growing in other orientation mm, are they growing yeah. in charity yeah and yeah. if we're just like yeah we have i tripped balls and felt love like and i'm way better at trading stocks now it's like oh, cool yeah, and yeah, i'm yeah. not saying that no, you are oh. <laughs> yeah but i well colin i love that i i think that's beautiful and in fact that is an inspiration for me with these post church spaces like can we create these structures and institutions and communities that help people um transmute or alchemize these profound experiences into that other oriented loving compassionate way of being so i thought that was a beautiful yeah yeah. Beautiful response. Thank you. Well, thanks for having the willingness to end on a can of worms. And I feel like we landed the plane. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Colin, on uh, the Yes Collective podcast. So we ask every guest three questions at the end. I didn't tell you about this. So if, uh -huh. so if any of these, they're just rapid fire. If you don't know, just say you don't know. So the first one is if you could put a post-it note on everybody's fridge tomorrow morning. Just the whole the whole world so what would this post-it note say uh um jesus is love i'm sorry i love the humor and that so let's keep that um and is there a quote that is has that you've read or you've come across lately that has um impacted you in any way yeah, I forgot what exactly it is, but it was like 
in a world of chaos and uncertainty of the future, what can really change things is little islands of coherence. Mm. And I like that phrase because I see these post-churches and psychedelic co-ops and they might not be one and the same, but I do think they're very adjacent yeah. as they have the potential to be little islands of coherence. And mm. I think it's those institutions that have the most potential to help catalyze change over time. Beautiful. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And then the final one is Colin, is there something right now that is giving you hope? Like what is giving you hope right now? I think it's that conversations. I don't want to like this podcast. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Justin didn't tell me to say that, but (laughs) it seriously feels like there. What's giving me hope is that I do feel like there is a need for a new script and a new way of doing things. And I do think it, at the end of the day, really involves community, like a phrase I have and I think will be the name of my own blog one day, podcast is community-based everything. And mm. I do think we're in a liminal stage right now. And what is giving me hope is that creative thinkers and dreamers and pioneer pioneers like yourself who have these conceptions of new sorts of islands of coherence can, like, this is our time to shine like w- the world needs thinkers like uh and you know artists creatives we need to create the new system the new mm. ecological web of life so i think that provides me hope these sorts of conversations are are happening and it feels extremely pertinent mm. call i'm so glad to be doing this work with you and i'm so excited to see the Brooklyn Psychedelic Society just continue to grow and continue to really innovate in this space. We need it. And um, I'm, I'm so grateful for you and your organization. Thank you for coming on Yes Collective Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Justin. Hey, if you like what we're doing here at Yes Collective Podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, share it with other parents in your life, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes Collective is a mental health movement for all parents, so let's spread the love.